John wants us to see and wants us to believe in all who Jesus is. Principally that he's not just a good teacher, not just a moral example or another powerful prophet, but that Jesus is the long-awaited king, the promised Messiah, the one who was spoken of time and again in the Jewish history of the people who would come and be the true and better one. That is what it means to be the Christ. And John wants us as his readers to see Jesus. Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus as the Christ. Don't miss it. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man, the promised Christ who's now come into the world. And so this morning continues that theme in our time in the Gospel of John, where we find ourselves today in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open or turn uh, with me there. Uh, The sermon title for this morning is The Resurrected Life. Do we have that on the screen? We do. Wonderful. The Resurrected Life, and as as we read and as we dive into these 44 verses, which is quite the task to do, we won't cover it all It's just a tease in some regards. Um, We're going to see, and I want to draw our attention to three main ideas as it relates to to this resurrected life. The first one is the means. How does Jesus plan to bring about his work in the lives of his people? How is Jesus going to do that? And then second is his motivation. What motivates Jesus to do what we're going to see Jesus do in these verses. And third and last is the message. What is Jesus telling us when he says that he is the resurrection and the life? So Lord willing, we're going to work our way through this power-packed text, considering how it can fuel our lives in the here and now as we live for God's kingdom with an eye on the future promise and the future hope. Amen? I'm in. That's our plan. So uh, John chapter 11, if you would open your Bibles with me, I'm going to invite us to stand as we read these 44 verses. I'm going to try to do that um, without getting tongue-tied. Lord willing, he'll let me do that. Starting in verse 1 in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you loved is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were, who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he have not opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound in linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. What an account. Over the last several chapters given us in the Gospel of John, the hostility against Jesus has really ramped up, has it not? Uh, Pastor Josh concluded our time last week in John chapter 10 when the Jewish leaders try to kill Jesus after Jesus says that he and the Father are one. And so Jesus flees the area because they want to kill him through a brutal act of picking up stones and murdering him. And so he goes north and east across the Jordan River and that's where he lands for a time and a place. And that is where Jesus is found later on here in John chapter 11, where a messenger informs him that his dear friend, his friend named Lazarus, whom he loves, is ill. 
Now there's wide speculation as to how Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus knew each other. Like how did they become so close? But regardless of how that happened, two important realities are stated here in the text. The first is they knew Jesus well enough to know where he was, which was quite an accomplishment when you don't have cell phones, right? They also believed, and this is critical, they also believed that Jesus' love for Lazarus was significant enough that if Jesus just knew that Lazarus was ill, that Jesus would come. Think about that with me for a moment. We know this because in verse 21, Martha and Mary, in verse 32, they say the exact same statement. You see that? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 4, Jesus hears this report And he pronounces that this illness will not lead to death. And in verse 6, he decides to proactively stay. Interesting. He decides to proactively stay two more days prior to making the journey to Bethany. Now, fast forward several verses and we find in verse 17, when Jesus gets there, what does he find? He finds out two important truths. First is, is that Lazarus has died. And he's been in the tomb for how long? Four days. So let's think about this for a quick moment. It's believed that Jesus' journey across the Jordan to Bethany, east of Jerusalem, may have taken about two days' time of travel. So basic math, four days minus two days of travel gets us to two days. And two days of staying in the place that Jesus was at gets us to what? The date of death more than likely, for Lazarus. So it's highly possible, think about this with me for a moment, it's highly possible that when the messenger comes to meet with Jesus and tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, Lazarus may have already been dead. And Jesus says that this illness will not lead to his death. Which means if we're completely honest, like Jesus may have just put himself, Mary, Martha, least of all Lazarus, and all of the other people that loved him in some very prolonged grief, honestly. Like consider that with me for a moment. If we're honest, it can feel highly insensitive let alone maybe selfish. And it can't really be called good, can it? Like sympathize with these dear sisters for a moment who deeply loved their brother, caring for him day after day, watching him get worse. And all the while, like while tending to them, if he would just get better, right? If he could just turn the corner, maybe tomorrow, will be better than today. And then somewhere along the lines, a thought uh, is sparked, right? Maybe it's Mary, it could be Martha, it could be somebody else. Hey, what about Jesus? We know a guy. What about Jesus? If Jesus would only come, Lazarus may not die. 
And so they send a messenger. Hey, who's the fastest guy in town or the gal in town? Who's going to get there the quickest? Okay, you. You go get Jesus. He's supposed to be in this area, you know, northeast of, of, of Jerusalem, across the Jordan. Go get him. And so they run. And maybe it's a track star. And so they get there a little faster than I would. And so they get there a little bit before two days and they go and they find Jesus and they beseech Jesus and they say, Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love is ill. And what does Jesus say? He says, this illness will not lead to death. Like you can, you can almost, as the messenger, you can almost imagine like the glimmer of hope, right? Like, praise God! That's awesome. I got to get back to Mary and Martha and let them know, right? And so he gets up or she gets up and they run back to Bethany. Maybe a little slower now because they had just done a, whatever that distance was two day, you know, for the last two days, a little slower. So it's been four days since the messenger has been with the people and the messenger runs into the town, runs into the home and he pronounces at the top of his lungs or her lungs, like Jesus said, Lazarus is not going to die. What's he find? Like maybe he walks into the house and like the tone's like very different. There's a lot more people here now. But nobody's busy doing anything. They're just like sitting in grief and sorrow and like it just hits the messenger. Like, what's going on? Somebody tells him, like, Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha, they, they hear that the messenger is there and so you can like in tears, like in desperation, right? They go, like tell us what Jesus told you. Is Jesus with you? Has he come with you? And the messenger says, Jesus says that this isn't going to lead to Lazarus' death. What? He's died. Like, like confusion? Maybe anger? like elements of disbelief or like a range of emotions, right, just begins to wash over the room. Like, how could Jesus say that? That this will not result in his death. How could Jesus let this happen? How could he be wrong? How could he be wrong about something so important like this? Church family, we don't know that that's exactly how the details happened. Like we don't know the full range of emotion, the things that are felt by Mary and Martha. We don't fully know all that. The text doesn't say, but it, seems, it doesn't seem too far-fetched to understand and empathize with the emotions of confusion. Like, think about this with me for a moment. Think about all the people that Jesus has healed up to this point in his ministry. Like, you remember the lame man that Jesus healed back at the pool? Do you remember that? What about the blind man born from birth? That he put mud on his eyes, he told him to go wash, and then what happened? He saw. What about the official's son? He didn't even have to be present to cure that boy. 
about Lazarus? What about Lazarus? Confusion. Marked by anger. Difficult, difficult circumstances. Slowly building to unbelief and I think if we're honest, like many of us, maybe even like right now, can relate to that type of circumstance and that type of scene. Maybe in your life you have those set of circumstances that have you swirling with elements of confusion, maybe even anger. Maybe you're here this morning and there's somebody in your life, a loved one who has experienced death. Maybe it's the news of cancer. It's like a loss of job, an unfulfilling marriage, like the feeling of being stuck in life circumstances where you just, you just cannot possibly reconcile in your heart and your mind how anything good let alone how any blessing might come from what you're dealing with. Point number one this morning is that we have to look at Jesus' means. How does Jesus choose to work in the lives of his people in John chapter 11? The good but hard answer is that God our Father and His Son Jesus knows the necessary means to draw His people to Himself and strengthen their faith. And He does that, and I don't understand it. I do not understand it fully, and oftentimes don't even fully see it. He does that through difficulty and even suffering. Like I truly believe as I think about this event, if there was any other way, think about this with me for a moment, if there was any other way, a better way for Jesus to accomplish what Jesus desired to accomplish in the life of Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and his disciples, like Jesus would have done it that way, right? He wouldn't have done it this way. Like if there was a way, as, as this text says in verse 15, to produce belief, or in verse 26, so that you might respond in faith, do you believe? If there was any other way to get that done, he would have done it that way, not this way. Like the way of pain for Lazarus resulting in his temporary death, the, 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 the road of grief and difficulty for Mary and Martha and even Jesus himself, verse 35, right? Look at verse 35. It's very short. It says he wept. It is Jesus' own response to the circumstance. He weeps. He's grieved deeply, deep emotional sorrow for the pain and the suffering that was necessary to produce what Jesus himself desired to accomplish. Do you see that? 
Like Jesus was not callous to any of that. His own love for Lazarus, his own love for Mary and Martha, like seeing their struggle and their own grief, and he's moved. But Jesus was also resolved to bring about all of this for his good purpose. And frankly, if, if you've been around the church for a while, like, you and I, like, can agree about this in principle, can't we? Like, yeah. But man, is it difficult in the midst of the storms of life to cling in faith that God uses those kinds of means. But that is what that is. It's, it's faith. Believing that your loving father, your daddy, he knows all. He sees all and he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what I need. He knows exactly what your family needs to strengthen your faith, to loosen your grip on this world and all the while help us see with greater clarity the almighty hand that grips you. Church family, a good practical question each one of us should consider and be able to answer is this. Who are the people in your life that help you see the good means, the good things that your heavenly Father is doing for you when it's so difficult to see them for yourself? Who are those people Do you have those people in your life? Better friends than the friends of Job. Amen? The story of Job, God brings through some horrific difficulty. He loses his wealth. He gets plagued with sores on all parts of his body. He even loses the life of many of his children. And no friend of Job encourages him to what God is doing. Not that they know what God is fully doing, right? Not friends that have the perfect explanation, come to me because I can explain it to you. That's not the kind of friend we're talking about. But friends that know it isn't a question about if, but what God is doing. It's a question of what he is doing in working in the lives of his people. And my prayer is that we would be stirred by this account in John chapter 11 where God uses some very difficult means, a difficult but necessary journey. Why? Why can we believe that? Because point number two this morning is to consider Jesus' motivation. Verse four, why will this illness not lead to death? We're told directly, praise God, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus tells us outright. He doesn't let us question it. We don't need to, to dig too far. He just tells us. Just like with the blind man who was born blind so that God might be revealing his son, Jesus, so too, 
Will the death of Lazarus glorify the Father and in turn glorify the Son? So at the heart of Jesus' motivation is a desire to glorify the Father who is in turn glorifying the Son. And as we continue to read in this uh, great account, there's one other great motivation. And it's his love for whom? At least a couple different groups of people in this text. Verse five, the first group. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister Lazarus and so he went. Nope, that's not what he did, right? That's what you think he would have done. If somebody told me, hey, we got a problem, you care about that person, you don't let that linger, you go, right? That's my response. And yet in verse six, it says that he stayed two more days. Why? Because he loved him. Verse five, he loves them. And so verse six, he stayed. That was the reason for his absence, which is his love for them. Now oftentimes, like people approach the word of God, this almighty book, and they see a self-centered God. Maybe a little egotistical. You read through the Old Testament, it's all about his rules. It's about his name and his glory. And then you get to the New Testament and who's it all about? It's about his son, Jesus. Seems a little braggy. Like where's the humility in that, you know? I'd encourage us to just keep reading. Maybe a better way of saying that is to read more carefully because what we see in these verses as well as other places in the word of God is that God is ultimately motivated by his glory, yes and amen, but that our good, humanity's good, their well-being, our satisfaction, our unending joy are not at odds with God's great glory, amen? Verse 7, after two days, Jesus then finally pulls in the disciples. That's interesting. He's obviously kept this from them up to this point. We don't have time to talk about that this morning. Verse 7, he tells the disciples that he needs to go. And they say, hold up, Jesus. You want to go where? They tried to kill you there, Jesus. Are you sure that's where you need to go? And Jesus responds by telling them in verse 9, he says, it's daytime, and that's when we've got to work. I got work to do. So I gotta go do it. That's what Jesus is saying. Regardless of the danger, Jesus tells them in verse 11 that the reason for for risking his life is that he needs to awaken Lazarus. Now the disciples don't fully understand that and they don't know that Jesus or Lazarus has died and so Jesus obviously knows that and so he gets straight to the point. Thank you, right? Verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died, guys. He's not sleeping. And get this next part, verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. You were not there. So that you may believe. Intertwined with Jesus' pursuit of his glory is the goodness of his followers. Their strengthened belief. So yes, it is good to remember that God is good, that he does good things, but consider with me that God is not only good, but that he aims his goodness towards you personally. That's the daddy that you have. He isn't some um, benevolent 
benefactor or being who might be good, but whose goodness means nothing to you. That's not who God is, right? That's like knowing that Elon Musk is the richest guy in the world. Guess what his personal wealth does for you personally? Nothing. Unless you're related to Elon Musk and then you should come talk to me afterwards because I think that would be kind of cool to learn that. But his wealth, right, knowing that he is the wealthiest man in the world is of no value to you personally. But praise be to God that God is good and his goodness is inclined to you because of the work of his son Jesus. Praise God. Which gets us to point number three this morning, which is Jesus' message. Last for this morning. How do we know that, that God is good and that God's goodness is inclined towards you personally? Look at Jesus and the message that he brings. Jesus arrives in town. Apparently, like word goes before him because he's re- relatively popular at this point in time in his ministry and and so Martha hears about it and she, and she runs out. She leaves the place of mourning and she goes and grabs hold of Jesus and she says what? Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus replies, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha in the midst of grief, tells Jesus more than likely what she has rehearsed in her mind over and over and over the last four days. If you were here, my brother would not have died. And yet I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Now this is, my opinion, like very difficult to understand all of Martha's meeting. At first glance, like Martha is um, focused on the past, right? If only. If only you had done something different, Jesus. Written a different story, Jesus. Done things differently, Jesus, then this would have never happened. And that Real sorrow that's rooted in the if only moves towards a confession of hope. If you ask God, he will do what you ask. Now there's two predominant opinions for understanding Martha's words. The first is that she's sincere in her confession. And that when Jesus says that your brother will rise again, Martha believes that Jesus is referring to the common belief at the time that God will one day resurrect individuals and restore life, bringing those individuals into his fellowship. That's possible. But it's also possible that Martha's words are not all that sincere, but instead come from a heart that knows what to say. Right, that this is a horrible thing that has happened, but God will be glorified, right? A common enough expression attached to a hardship. In short, we really don't know, and regardless, it's interesting to me that Martha confesses that she believes whatever Jesus asks of God can come about. Then when Jesus says that, he, that Lazarus will rise again, 
Instead of saying, do you mean you're going to raise my brother? She, like us, in the midst of hardships, can point one another and ourselves to a future event that we know that we're supposed to find hope in, but often don't. Like, that's where Martha's mind goes. Lazarus has died. Jesus says that he's going to rise again, and her response is, yes, Jesus, I know that one day it will be made all right. I know that. But what about right now? Like, how does that help me with where I am today? Like, can't we relate to that kind of thinking? Like, I know I can. Like, future hope is good and necessary. Oh, praise God for it. But if we're honest in the midst of the storm, can't we, like Martha, get tired of hearing, there, there, one day it will be made all right? Like, if we're honest... Like where we so desperately desire for that future hope that's out there to invade in the here and now. Like to, to see and experience, maybe not the whole thing, right? But, but pieces, at least taste some of the future hope, the future reward that we're told that we have. Like come on, let it happen a little bit right now. Fellow believer, fellow follower of Jesus, if you are here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus, you can taste the reward today. Because Jesus has come, verse 25. And he's come as the great I am. The, the I am, the resurrection and the life. That is the message that Jesus has come to proclaim. That, that the future hope of heaven the future resurrection that people can experience after death is not ultimately about a physical place marked by a specific event. It's about a person. And that person is Jesus. See, Martha's own thinking, and, and I, as I think about this, I think it's true for myself, that Martha's thinking has been shaped too much by an emphasis on the resurrection as an event and the life thereafter in a physical destination called heaven. And not enough emphasis on the truth that the resurrection and the life is the person of Jesus as the Christ. And fellow believer and follower of Jesus, our ultimate future hope is not life in a new location. It's not even, ultimately, life free from sin and suffering and death. Our ultimate future hope is in the presence of Jesus. Heaven is only great because Jesus is there. All those other sweet and wonderful things are addition but heaven is not heaven without Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate reward in the person of himself, and we have possession of Jesus today. See, Jesus didn't simply come to proclaim that the resurrection will take place. Or that he's going to be the cause, although those things are both true. 
Jesus' statement of I am the resurrection and the life proclaims that the resurrection, taking dead men and women and making them come alive, which is what he does in this text for Lazarus, what he's gonna do, right? Taking dead men and making them come alive and genuine life resulting in fellowship with God is only possible by a personal relationship with Jesus. That he is those things. Therefore, apart from Jesus, you cannot have them. To say it in a positive light, therefore to have Jesus means that you have been resurrected. And because you've been resurrected, you now have life. Life that begins the moment you believe and trust in the person of Jesus. That's the gospel. Where you and I don't have to fully wait for the reward of heaven because the reward is Jesus and Jesus is available to anyone and everyone. Like regardless of your past, be it good, bad, or ugly. Regardless of today, because Jesus has come, he is available to anyone that would turn from their own way of doing things, their own work, their own striving, their own plans, and believe in the things of Jesus. See the accomplishments of Jesus as enough and follow his plan like you too can have life. Jesus is like most definitely performing an amazing miracle here in this text, is he not? Taking a guy that's been dead for four days, causing him to jump to life. But that's not the ultimate message of the text. Like in other places, the miracle is a sign and it's pointing to the greater truths, pointing to the ultimate reality that Jesus, who is risking his life for helping Lazarus, is pointing to the better truth that Jesus will later give up his life. To trade it so that dead people might receive life in his name. Do you see that? Which is how this amazing account draws to an end. As we trace Jesus' means, what he is doing, his motivation, why he does what he does, and the message, who he is, and what he invites others into, we see the results of all of those things in verse 39. Look at that with me. Jesus says, get that stone out of here. Martha, very practical. That's going to smell. That's what she says, like, like, we're willing, but just so you know, he's been dead for four days. That's going to stink. And Jesus, who has complete confidence in his Father's work, encourages her, and he says, verse 40, believe and you will see the glory of God. And in verse 43, with all authority, the authority to resurrect life. He calls Lazarus by name and he makes dry bones spring to life. The resurrected life. The means, the motivation, and the message. God's means, God is always working. Even when we don't and even can't see it. 
We can hold fast to God's motivation that God's good work always ushers out of a desire for his glory and his good and his love for his people. And finally, God's message, Jesus. God's only son who provides spiritual life to those that without him are dead and calls them to a life of abundance in Jesus as he is the ultimate hope and the ultimate reward, which is who we have possession of today. A couple of quick questions for your consideration as we close. First, these verses require a call of response in faith, faith in the person of Jesus. Question number one, have you and do you respond in faith to the call of Jesus. Second, how should Jesus as the resurrection and that life impact your life today? And maybe even more meaningful, not just Sunday morning at 11, 10, but tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Third and last, this is convicting for me. Are you willing and eager to press into others' lives, helping them see Jesus' means, his motivation, and his message, and how that impacts the lives of people and friends around you? Are you eager to share that with somebody else? My prayer is that we would be people, that we would be a church whose current life is marked in great ways by the reality that we believe and we've experienced the person of Jesus. The resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Yes and amen, Lord God, you are the resurrection and the life and we've only just scratched the surface of what that truly means in our hearts and minds, Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith in the object of faith, which is you, that we would be people that are clinging to and pointing one another towards the truths that you use all kinds of things, be they good, be they hard, in the life of a follower of Jesus, all of which are motivated out of your pursuit of your glory and the good of your people, Lord God. And that we would have confidence in those two things because we look at Jesus as the person who embodies that and has brought it about for our sake. Lord God, use that in our lives today, in your church, for your glory and the good of your blood-bought people. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.